Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to everybody again, and and we're glad that you are here. Um, Today is is the second message in a series uh, that we're doing on the new rules for love, sex, and dating. And uh, we kicked this off last week. And um, as I mentioned last week, this is something that's not original to me. This is something that's come from some study material that I encountered a few years ago, which has been so helpful to me, so beneficial. It's just fed me um, personally. It's fed me, fed me as, as a parent. Um, it's fed me as, as a pastor. And so it's something that I just want to share with everybody. And, and uh, I hope you engage with this material, especially if you have children, um, especially if you're single, single again, like really lean into this stuff. There's some really good stuff here. There's a book that you can buy. looks just like that. It's by Pastor Andy Stanley. We're teaching from the book. We're teaching from his teaching series, so um, I, I encourage everybody that uh, wants to kind of look further into this material to, to do that. So um, what's interesting to me as, as we kind of go through this is that even though this material might kind of be considered to be aimed at uh, single people, it's amazing um, how many married people actually give feedback to me on, on this material. And it's it married people coming up and saying, you know, this stuff is so good, or it's stuff that I wish I had known. It's, wish, it's stuff that I, I needed to know, or I needed to hear again. It's stuff that I wish my family knew, my brother knew, my sister knew, um, that kind of stuff. And so there's just so much, so much here. And the big idea really in the series that we're, we're kind of, we, we hit on last week and we'll be revisiting today and, and next week as well, is this idea here that are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for? If you're thinking about the future, if you're thinking about falling in love and, and getting married and meeting, meeting the right person and, and being together forever, and you know, especially if you're thinking about marriage, I really hope that you're thinking about marriage in a good light. Um, and we talked about this a little bit last week. There's just so many people that that are just against marriage nowadays. Marriage is outdated. Marriage is old. And, and, and you know, that was for a bygone time. And, and the, you know, marriages that last forever, that are rich forever, they just don't exist. They just can't happen anymore. And that's just not true. You can find, or you can make, rather, a, a lasting and, and loving and fulfilling and rich marriage. And so I'm really hoping that this series as well kind of changes some of our thoughts or our thinking about marriage and, and helps us to think about marriage in a really, really good way. It doesn't have to be like the marriages that you saw growing up with. It doesn't have to be like the marriages maybe that you were raised with or raised around. And, and, or maybe if you had a, a parents with a good marriage or came from a family with a lot of good marriages, it can be like that for you as well. But, but in your planning and in your dreaming and, and everything that you're doing as you kind of move forward with life and, and get ready to take that next step or get ready to find that person and, and make a promise with them, make a covenant with them, we have to understand some things that what we do now what we do now or what we don't do now will set us up for success or set us up for failure later on. So it's really important to, to learn these rules, to apply these rules, to kind of let these rules get into our hearts, let, let these rules not just get into our brains, but get into our hearts, right? How many of you know that just knowing the right thing doesn't always make us do the right thing, right? I, that, that's just true about a lot of things in life. And so the, the question that we're kind of, you know, talking about is, are you or are you at least becoming, are you on the path to become the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for? Now, today, uh, I kind of mentioned this last week, today I get to talk about uh, uh, the fun subject of sex. And the subject is fun, but talking about it, not so much, right? 
Any parents, you know, kind of planned out the, the talk, right? And if you have, or if you've had the talk or planning out the talk, you know that this is really, really awkward. And that's with your kids. That's with the people that you change their diapers, right? So now I'm standing in front of a bunch of you. And I didn't change anybody's diapers in here, you know. Maybe my parents someday, but nobody else's, you know. And, just, and, and so, you know, just it, it gets really awkward. So I'm not necessarily excited about, you know, having to have the talk or talk about this subject. But at the same time, I am excited uh, that this is getting talked about. And, and um, you know, as, as a pastor, I deal with a lot of things. I deal with a lot of other things. Um, but it's amazing how much this comes up over and over again. And as a member of the church, right, especially if you're married and you're, you know, you've got kids, you've, you've already, you know, kind of moved on with life. You're thinking about career and retirement and, and homes and jobs and all this kind of stuff. You can feel uh, somewhat disconnected from the subject. And this is actually a danger that the church faces, right? That if this isn't important to me right now, then this isn't important to talk about, right? And this is part of what it means to belong to a family, that even though a subject may quote-unquote not feel important to you right now, you have to understand that you are not alone. You're, you're not a lone ranger Christian. You are part of a body. And so even though it may not be important to you right now, it is very important, hugely important, that we talk about this, especially for our young people, especially, I mean, come on, with all the messaging going on in society, we've got to talk about this. We've got to make this crystal clear for the next generation. Single people, if you're in the room, single again people in the room, you've got to know this. You've got to understand this. And this should even inform married people and give you, hopefully, I, I'm praying, that it'll give even married people kind of a new perspective on things. Because the fact of the matter is, one day, I, I know you guys can't hardly believe it, but one day I'm going to be old. And, uh, you know, one day I won't be able to tell people that I just turned 29 again, right? And, and, and after I'm old and gone, there's going to be another generation that's going to come on the scene and, and lead the church. And, and, and Christian values and, and marriage and Christian ideas about sex and sexuality, they're already under attack in our society, it's already being questioned and, and kind of put to the side. And, and so understand that God ideas and God values and design and the way that we are made, all of that has to be understood by the generation coming up. It doesn't even just have to be said to the generation coming up. We have to make sure that the generation coming up understands what we are talking about when it comes to these oh-so-important things. And I think this, 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 is a lot of, this is a lot of the reason that a lot of Christians nowadays, honestly, there are a lot of Christians in Christianity and churches all over America that are confused as to what to believe about sex and sexuality. Because there is so much messaging coming into our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes from all over the world and culture and society. And honestly, it's like, you know, I don't want to be seen as the uncool person, right? I don't want to hold on to an outdated idea. If that's old-fashioned and that doesn't work anymore, I don't want to still cling on to it. So I'm going to embrace it. And it's like I'm straddling the fence. I don't know what I believe. I'm not sure what to embrace. And so, you know, the, the problem, I think, with, with a lot of people that wrestle, or not a problem with people, but I think the problem that a lot of people are facing who are wrestling with that is that they never came to understand what God designed sex and sexuality to be. It wasn't discussed, and questions weren't really answered. I mean, you know, when it, when it came to sex, it was kind of like one of those thou shalt nots, right? It got preached in one of those kinds of messages, and people couldn't see past the rules to kind of the deeper meaning behind it all. And so that's why this stuff is so, so important. That's why even if you're married, you have to lean into this. There's, there's deep personal meaning for a lot of us in this room. There's deep spiritual meaning for every single human, and there's deep meaning for the church and for the future generation of the church's leaders. So we have to have 
the talk. All right, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> it's exactly the response I was hoping for right there. So we have to have the talk, and hopefully this is better than our parents' talk, right? Which was like five awkward minutes with no eye contact, right? And, 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 then, and then we had to talk with our parents, but none of us ever got into like a sexual situation later and like put everything on pause to pull out the notebook and look what dad said about that, you know, just none of us ever did that. It's like we had the talk and then we never wanted to think about the talk again. But we have to talk about some of these things. And there's one main idea that I tried to give us last week, this thing that's on the screens now. And there's another main idea that I want to share with us today, something that I think we all know intuitively. But it's something that our culture and our society never, ever voices. It never puts out there in front of everybody, even though I think, and I, I hope you would agree with me by the time we're done, I think that everybody in our culture and everybody in our society actually knows this thing that we're going to talk about, including you. But maybe you just never thought about it like this before. Maybe it's never really come to the front of your mind about this. And it's a deep truth about sex and sexuality. And, and if you miss this, if you miss this, if we don't get this, if, if your kids don't get this, if the next generation doesn't get this, if single people and single again people don't get this, we are setting your, ourselves up for disaster in our future relationships. And so I don't want anybody to miss this. I don't want anybody to go past this and just kind of buy into something that's out there in culture and society and not really know the truth. And so to get to the truth, what I want to do first is share the myth that this truth kind of, you know, contrasts. And this is what you see on TV, and this is what you see on movies, this is what you hear in music that you shouldn't be listening to, and it's this idea right here, that sex is only physical, Right? In other words, as long as nobody's coerced into it, as long as nobody gets injured by it, as long as nobody ends up pregnant, nobody gets a disease, have a great time. Because sex is only physical. It's like sports. It's like ping pong. It's like wrestling, right? You know, just like you like wrestling, right? You want to be pinned. It's like, you know, wrestling. It's like, it's, it's like that. But if it's ever like karate, you're doing it wrong. I'm just going to say it. It's, but, you know, it's just physical. And then once it's over, you just move on, right? Take two aspirin, call me in the morning. And nobody got hurt. Nobody got pregnant. Nobody got sick. So it's all good. But we kind of all know, don't we, that this isn't really true. There's a truth that contrasts against this myth. And that is that sex is more than just physical. It's more than only physical. And if you believe the lie that it is physical, you will hurt yourself. And I don't mean like you will hurt yourself. I mean you will hurt yourself. Like you will hurt your soul. It is, it is tied to our essence somehow. And people have experienced this. And there are people in this room that know that what I am saying is the truth. That it's not just physical. It's something more than this. And then, you know, after you're married, if you just believe that sex is only physical, after you're married, you can end up hurting your partner. You can end up hurting their emotions and their self-worth and there are ghosts and there are consequences and comparisons and, and episodes that will follow you and, and you may find forgiveness and you may find a new beginning but the consequences of what we do now will come back to haunt us later and they will come back to undermine and devalue our partners because as we'll see in a second, sex and intimacy are closely, closely tied together. It's more than just physical. There is something more to it. And there's a lot of us in this room 
that you know what I'm talking about. You know that what I'm saying is true. Maybe you've never connected the dots before. Maybe you've never really looked at your past and, and seen how that could be affecting your present or your present troubles. But uh, think about it. Even when we go to counselors, right? Like what's the, what's the typical kind of stereotype of going to see a psychiatrist or as they're called shrink sometimes, right? You're going to go in there and lay back on the couch and then they're going to have you talk about when your mom, right, like, you know, left you in the room too long. They talk about the past, to kind of unravel all of the tangledness that's going on in our present. And so we understand this intuitively. It's in society. It's out there. And we all kind of get it. But for some reason, none of us want to talk about it when it comes to sex. That it's more than just physical. We all know this stuff, but we always don't think about it in this way. This is why, if I can go here for just a second, and this part gets really awkward, but listen to me. This is why sexual abuse is so damaging to people. This is why people who are sexually abused can't just seem to pick themselves up and dust themselves off and move on. And nor should they have to. But there is something that we kind of know when we encounter someone who has been abused sexually or if you have experienced that yourself, that there is something attached to that that has somehow affected your sense of worth and your sense of self. It has made you, there are words that are used to describe it like I feel dirty, I feel damaged. I feel like I am not worth what I used to be worth. And listen to me, you should not feel that way. And, and, and that is a lie. Listen to me, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are, I say that without apology and without qualification. You are no less because of someone else's evil. But you damage a person's sexuality. You scar them. You scar them sometimes for life or at least maybe for a lifetime of trying to heal from those things. And many women know that what I'm saying is powerfully, powerfully true. And so if you're here and, and you were abused, listen to me, you are not less. You are not tarnished. You are loved deeply by a heavenly father, a father who knows justice and knows injustice and who one day will let his wrath be exposed against all sin that has happened against you. Trust in God's judgment and justice. He loves you. That's right, I went there, the judging God, the angry heavenly father, just like any father. All right, we'll, we'll go on from there. But we know that sex is more than just physical, more than only physical, but why? Or maybe how is sex more than physical? Why is it this way? And sex is more than just physical because it was designed by God as an expression of intimacy between two people. Now, I say this word intimacy, and all the men start to check out, right? Let's not talk about feelings. Let's not talk about intimacy. But you've got to understand this. Intimacy, and there's a lot of definitions, but if I could just put it this way, intimacy is to be fully known by someone. I'm talking like fully known. They know everything about you, and yet to be fully loved. Isn't this what we all crave? That I could find someone with whom I have no secrets, with whom nothing is hidden, with whom nothing is off limits. I am fully, fully known, but that they don't run away when they see all the dark parts of my past, but they fully love me. And so think, you know, think about this. God designed sex. Now there was a time when sex didn't exist because there were no creatures and then God designed all of the creatures. God designed sex and brought it into existence. And then God gave sex to horses and cows and, and dogs and rabbits, right? And then God created male 
and female. But when God created male and female, he did something a little bit different. God created male and female in his own image. But God is a spirit. So how does it work that he creates us into his image? And when he introduced them to each other, and when God introduced them to sex, it was on a level that was supposed to be deeper. It was, a, it was on a level that was supposed to have more meaning than it did for the animals. In other words, sex wasn't given just as a way for people to make more humans. But God created male and female in his image to reflect him, and then he gave us sex as a way to experience or to reflect the level of intimacy that we are supposed to have with God. God was saying, in essence, when he created sex and the sexual experience, I want you to experience something in your coming together that is a reflection of the intimacy, the level of closeness that you can have with me. Even though you are physical beings, I want to give you something that will help you be intimate on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, much deeper than only the physical level. And all of us kind of get this about sex. It's more than just physical. But God designed us to have full-on intimacy and in our sexual drive and passion with each other. There's supposed to be like a hunger for each other, a craving for each other. There's this, this complete unveiling of ourselves with one another, a complete vulnerability of ourselves. with another. There's a fearlessness, and it is, it is all given so that it could reflect our level of intimacy with God, that we could know that when we come to God, we can be completely unveiled, that we can be completely vulnerable, that we can be completely fearless in his presence, that God is not comparing me with you. God is not comparing your goodness and my good. No, none of that is on the table, but God accepts me as I am. With God, I am fully known, but with God, God, I am fully, fully loved. And there's no fear of rejection in all of my flaws and in all of my, my, my idiosyncrasies. None of it turns God away from me. And that level of intimacy with God is meant to be reflected in my level of intimacy with my wife and you with your husband and you with your wife. And this intimacy that we crave, it's powerful. And it's sacred, and it's part of our design, and, and it has a power over us, and has an influence over us, and, and there's a danger of abusing it, and there's a danger of damaging the intimacy. And maybe we know people, or maybe we even were people who have damaged our own capacity for intimacy, because they, or maybe we, treated sex like it was purely physical, and we broke that connection that God intended between sex and intimacy. And if they got married, or when we got married, our partners wondered what was wrong, because it didn't seem like there was anything special about the act. It didn't seem like there was anything spiritual or deeper than just the physical coming together. It was not a celebration of our usness, our togetherness, our intimacy with each other. And listen to me, if you're here this morning and you're married, and this sounds like something you have been struggling with, if you're a single again, you've experienced this before in a previous relationship, let me just pause and I, I want to tell you this. God has come to heal all parts of us. God has come to redeem us, body, soul, and spirit, past and failures and weaknesses and scars and everything that we have been, everything we wish we never were. God has come to redeem it all. 
I wish I got more amens on. This isn't just about someday getting to go to a heaven, a pie in the sky, and the by and by, and all of the benefits to Christianity come after you die, you know, but you're really nervous. to. No, God came to give you life and life to the full. All the brokenness he wants to put together, all of the missing pieces he wants to put back in place, you can be healed. Don't believe the lie that this is always going to be you. It's not with Jesus. But if we believe the lie that sex is just physical, and if we believe the lie that we talked about last week, that once I find the right person, that everything will be all right, then when you get to that level of intimacy with the person that you're looking for, you'll start thinking, hey, something's missing. They'll start thinking, something's missing. And maybe I married the wrong person. And then they'll go looking, or you'll go looking for another right person. And people get stuck in this cycle. We know people. We love people. We have been the people that get stuck in this cycle and believe the lies and the myths and can't seem to find happiness and peace. And and we hurt ourselves and they hurt themselves and it absolutely breaks my heart. Absolutely breaks my heart. And in my short pastoral career, I mean, I've seen this. I've, I've heard this. I've counseled this. But I want you to know the truth that God has created something special in sex and in intimacy, and God has gifted it to you because God created you. He designed you. He designed you, all right? So it's not surprising that you're a church that we're going to find this in the Bible today, and God's been talking about this for thousands of years, and about 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Paul who actually wrote to some people who didn't know this thing, or maybe they were like us, right, where they kind of intuitively knew this thing, or maybe they learned this thing after a while, of kind of believing the myths around us. 2,000 years ago, their, their culture was like ours, but it was worse. Their culture had all kinds of crazy things going on. And so once they became the church in a city called Corinth, they brought a lot of that brokenness and a lot of that messed up thinking into the circle of the church. But this has been talked about for over 2,000 years, this idea that sex is more than just physical. It's been sitting there on your grandma's coffee table for 2,000 years. Well, your grandma's not that old, but I think you know what I'm talking about. It's been sitting there, but none of us, or most of us, or a lot of us, or too many of us, we've never seen it. Because people just told us, you know, sex, don't do it. And we wonder why. And it's like, well, because the Bible says so. And then there's nothing really beyond that. And I just want to pause. Before we go on, I want to say this. For if, if you're kind of like, you know, figuring out what to believe, and you're, you know, maybe kind of Christian, you know, maybe not all the way Christian, you're Christian-ish, Maybe you're Jesus adjacent, you know, like you're trying to figure out your faith or whether or not you want to come back to God. Let me just say, this is not just a religious idea. These are not religious ideas. The idea of intimacy, the idea of purity or being with one person and forsaking all others, that is not a religious idea because there are religions all over the world that endorse sex outside of a marriage. There are whole religions built around sexual expression. There are religions, ancient and modern, that include sex and prostitution as part of what they call their worship. And no, we're not giving out addresses to that church after this service is over. But think about it. When Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, all around him were pagan nations and and pagan religions and pagan ideas where prostitution was part of their worship. It was religious to do this thing. And yet when Moses came down, he said, no, no, no. God designed it to be intimate and to be between one man and one woman. 
And everybody around just looked at him and laughed because religion didn't come up with that. There's no way that one man could ever come up with that. And then Jesus echoed it in just the firmest of words. And then as we're going to read, Paul wrote about it to a church in a city called Corinth. And and in in that city of Corinth, it was crazy during that time, there were temples there built to a Greek goddess Diana. And the Greek goddess Diana actually had, as part of their worship system, temple prostitutes. And so part of going to church, part of getting up on Sunday mornings and going to Diana Church was for you to go there and engage sexually with a temple priestess for as part of your worship, right? And everybody's looking for the Friday evening services with candlelight for that stuff, right? That's sex existing only between one man and, sex is, and one woman for life was laughable in those religions. And it's becoming laughable today the further our culture moves away from God and Christianity. And this is, why, this is why when you hear about a cult, what is it about a cult? That every time you hear about a cult, there's some twist on a rule somewhere where the leader of the cult gets to have sex with all the women. Because religion, man-made religion, always invents this part of sex without boundaries and without borders. And they don't want to acknowledge the truth of our design. When men manufacture a religion, women always become a commodity. It's just the truth. When men manufacture religion, women always become a commodity. And yet here's Moses, and there's Jesus, and we're going to read from Paul that there is something different on offer, something that some of us have experienced to our own pain and hurt and regret. There is something different on offer from our creator, the different way, the countercultural way of seeing sex and and intimacy and them being deeply connected. Somehow this seems to ring true to our souls, doesn't it? Somehow this seems to resonate after we've lived life for a while. So what if this isn't man-made? What if this isn't just a religion thing? What if, in fact, this comes from a creator? And so Paul, like I mentioned, Paul's going all around the Mediterranean world in the first centuries, you know, getting churches together in all these different Roman cities. And he goes to a city called Corinth. He goes to Philippi and, and Colossae and Athens and all these different, uh, you know, cities to start churches. He was a great church planner of his day. And he'd put together all these different little Jesus gatherings. All these different little churches, he called them ecclesias, gatherings, communities of people who believed what Jesus had on offer and they wanted in to what Jesus was all about and Jesus' kindness and Jesus' mercy and forgiveness and unity and, and generosity and everything that Jesus was about and the Jesus movement was about, they wanted to be part of it. And Paul thinks, wow, look at them go. These churches that I've started, they're doing pretty good. And then he comes back to Corinth to kind of give them, you know, like a review. And he's like, uh-oh, look, look at this. And Corinth, they're doing good in the other, some of the other areas, but they are, are bringing some of their old thinking about sex into this new way of being human. They're bringing some of their old religious practices from the Temple of Diana and other places into what it means to be a Christian because none of their religions before was against them having sex outside of marriage. It was something completely foreign to them. They had never heard this before. And so Paul thinks somebody needs to tell them the creator's view of sex and of intimacy and understand their designs as humans. They need to understand that they were created to reflect God and created to have intimacy with God. And so to a group of Jesus followers in Corinth, Paul says, hey guys, I've got to explain something to you. 
I've got to tell you a different way to look at sex and intimacy. And, and it's a different than what you grew up with, and it's different than what your old ideas of religion taught you. It's different than what your current culture certainly is having you live out in your experience. But you've got to understand how you were designed. And so Paul kind of picks up the pen, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, he tells them, flee from sexual immorality. Now, he didn't say manage your sex, sexual immorality. He didn't say flirt with it. He didn't even say just, you know, just resist it. Just put up a good fight. He said run away. Like hike up your robe and take off running. Put on your Nike air sandals and hit the road, right? Flee from sexual immorality. And if you look at this, like, what's sexual immorality? We don't have time to go into it all. Look at chapter 7, and you'll see Paul's talking about sexual immorality being anything outside of one husband, one wife together. Well, why, Paul? Why is this so restrictive? What's this got to do? And Paul would say, well, I'm glad you asked. He goes, all other sins a person commits. Everybody say, all other sins. So Paul's teaching us something, that not all sins are the same. There are some sins that belong to a different category. That sexual sin is not like other sins. Not because God hates it more. Not because God will get more mad at you. Not because God will send you to hell without passing go or anything else. It's, it's not that God won't like you anymore. It's not even that God won't forgive you of these things. And if you're here today, listen to me, and your past is maybe something less than the Christian view of sexuality, you need to know this. You need to understand this, that yes, sexual sin is in another category, but there is hope even for those of us that have experienced or lived out sexual sin in our past. I want you to understand this clearly, that in the idea of redemption with God, all shame can be put aside. Yes, it's different than other kinds of things, but it doesn't mean that you are less to God. God still loves you and wants to save you and heal you. He knows you've been lied to. He knows that you've been living out the values of a broken society. And he loves you as you are. But he's too good of a God to leave us that way. And so he wants what's better for us. And so this is the beautiful thing about the truth of God's love, that it loves us as we are. It loves us in our brokenness. It loves us in our guilt. And, and before we ever clean up a thing or make changes, when we come face to face with God, you need to understand that that is just the beginning of God's goodness to us. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. All of those things. But beyond that, there is a new power to live within us that we no longer have to be bound by these old ideas and old values. And so Paul is echoing everything that we've talked about, all other sins. It's a whole different category, right? And, and sexual sin isn't like other sins because, well, why, Paul? Why? And Paul goes on to tell, because all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This is a category all of its own. Other sin isn't like this sin. Other sin may do damage to another, but this kind of sin not only damages the other person, you will hurt yourself. You will erode your soul. You will degrade your identity. You will see yourself as less than you were before you gave it away. All other sins are outside 
the body. But whoever commits sexual sin is sinning against their own body. And Paul's saying, you guys know this. You guys get this. You guys are experiencing this. You guys are hoping that you can find healing from this. That when you get outside the design, when you unhitch sex from intimacy, when you think and you believe the lie that sex is only physical, you wound your own soul. And it will follow you. And it will haunt you. And you will carry that weight on and on. And just a few verses earlier than this, he, he was talking to them. Again, these are people who are comfortable with the idea of, of prostitution, comfortable with the idea of sex outside of marriage. Grew up in families where men had multiple sex partners. It wasn't always the women. It was always the men that got to get away with it. But multiple sex partners was a common thing in their, in their society, at every level of their society. In verse 16, he tells them, tells them, do you not know? Don't you guys know this, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And the guys are reading this, and they're thinking, no, 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 Paul, Paul, nobody's doing any uniting. We're just having sex because sex is just physical. There is no mingling together. The Greek word that you're using, Paul, here, that we get our English word unite from, Paul, that Greek word means kind of like superglue, if superglue had been invented. That's like mixing blue and some yellow, and then you get green. And once you have green, you can't take the blue out anymore. Like it's uniting, it's mingling together like we're stuck. We're undividable, you know. And, and, and Paul, it was, it was purely physical. Paul, I may never see her again. Paul, I'm not even sure that that was her real name. And Paul is saying, no, no, don't you guys know this? Haven't you guys experienced this? That there is a connection? There is something deeper than just your physical connection? You're not understanding your design. That there is an intimacy involved. And you can try and ignore it. And you can try and suppress it. But over time, you will realize that you have damaged your capacity for future intimacy. You can't keep giving away pieces of yourself without one day feeling less than whole. And by God's design, by God's created design, sex and intimacy are intricately woven together. And every time that we engage, it is more than just physical. And Paul's telling them, maybe nobody ever told you, but you guys are starting to figure this out the hard way. There's a pain you can't escape. There's a memory you can't erase. There is regret there. There's a sense that there's a piece of you that is missing now. And it's deep and it's tied to your soul. And when you were designed to be one with one, you can't keep wanting yourself with other ones. Because after you one with one, there's less than one. Okay, I got math, like fractions. Anybody like fractions in the room? Okay, we're, we're there. And then Paul goes back to the beginning of everything. This is, this is beautiful to me. Paul kind of like digs out the owner's manual. Paul goes and gets like the, the maintenance, you know, book, right? And, and he starts quoting to them Genesis chapter 2, which is, you know, when God created Adam and Adam's alone in the garden. And so then God makes him fall asleep and then God creates Eve. And then God brings Eve to Adam, right? And, and this, is, this is Adam's first time to ever see a naked woman. And God says, okay, Adam, what are you going to call her? And Adam looks at her and he's like, whoa, man. Okay, that went right over you. Whoa, man. It was just, 
pause for laughter is in my notes, but yeah, it didn't work. Man and, whoa, man. All right, we'll go on. So Adam comes together. Adam sees Eve for the first time. And suddenly he's with Eve. And they're designed for sex. And it's a garden. And there's a violinist in the corner. Don't ask me where he came from. It's creation. It's my story. Just go with it. But he can't see. He's wearing a blindfold. I don't know. if this. Let's ditch that story. I don't know. I just came up with that one on the fly. We'll leave it alone. But Adam and Eve come together for the first time. And listen what Adam says after this. Adam says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This wasn't just a connection. This was something deep. This is something in my soul. I feel her now in my chest, my arms, my legs. She's everything to me. She's my world. Oh, come on. Come on, husbands. Come on. You know, you're my world. Mmm. Mmm. You're wishing this came before February 14th, right? <laughs> Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Something deeper than just physical has happened. And it's happened between me and this woman that God has given to me to reflect my relationship with my creator. The intimacy, the closeness. I am no more alone. I am no longer solo in this life, in this world. But God has given me a someone. And we are one together. Paul's saying, guys, don't you remember this from Bible study? Don't you remember for it is said, the two will become one flesh. See, there's the intimacy part. There's the togetherness part, right? The first time sex is described in the Bible, the first time that coming together is spoken about. And Paul is saying, this is the design. And this is how you were created. And this is why you can't feel whole when you keep giving yourself away. Because you were only designed to give all of yourself to only one other. It's about a two becoming a one. But some of us, no matter how hard we have tried, we can never seem to get that one completely undone. And it sticks like super glue. Sometimes the memories are good. Sometimes they're painful. Usually they're painful and they stick with us and, and we just can't seem to leave it. And married people, if you're here and you're struggling with intimacy and you've never looked at your history, listen, you've got to address it at some point. You've got to bring it up. You've got to present what is sick before it can be healed. You've got to present what is broken before it can be put back together. Single people, listen, single again people, if you don't come to terms with this from your past, if you don't let this guide your choices in the future, you will walk into the same hell that you just walked out of. Single people, young people, maybe you're living a little bit free and you're not really sure if you want to hang on to those old-fashioned ideas. Listen to me. If you don't wrap your heart around this, if you don't start living today in such a way that you honor your future husband or honor your future wife, you will damage your capacity for intimacy and you will end up with problems like you can't imagine. You'll end up with the same kind of problems that drove your parents apart. You'll end up with the same kind of problems that drove your aunts and your uncles and people, your friends, people that you love, that drove them apart. 
And you might find that when you finally meet that one, your sexual history has been so damaged. It's so damaged your capacity for intimacy that you are not the person that the person that you are looking for is looking for. But listen to me. There is healing with Jesus. In all of this, over all of this, I know, I know that I'm painting a little bit of a bleak picture, but there is a brightness coming down the way. There is hope with your creator. The one who made you can make you new again. Oh, come on, somebody. Can we pause and give him thanks and praise because he can make all things new? Come on, from your heart. Come on, from your heart, from your soul. Thank you, Jesus. There is hope, and there's hope in your creator. There's hope in your maker. He wants to be your healer. Your heavenly father came in his son to be your savior, not just the savior of your someday, but the savior of your yesterdays, the savior of your todays, and the savior in your tomorrows. There is healing and restoration with the one who loves you. There is healing and restoration with the one who gave himself for you. He wants to tell you what you've started to figure out in your own pain, in your own problems, that sex is more than just physical. It's tied to your very soul. And Paul goes on, and he talks to the believers in Corinth, and this is for all the Christians. This is for all the believers. And Paul asks them, hey, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And see, Paul is contrasting this Christian way of living, this new intimate way of living with God, the togetherness with God that we have, the intimacy that we have with God. He's contrasting that with our old ideas of what religion is. Because in our old ideas of religion, well, no, my body's not the temple. The temple is down the street. And when I want to worship God, I go across the street to the temple. But what I do over here, I do in my body. And those two things are disconnected. And Paul's saying, yeah, under a man-made religion, that's all disconnected. But under the design of the creator, there is intimacy that has been gifted to us. There is a coming together of our soul and God. And the temple is no longer down the street. This is the temple. You are the temple. He and she and we together are the temple of God. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now that Jesus has come, there's a shift in the relationship. There's a new way to view church. And it doesn't just happen on Sundays. Your body is the temple. Paul's saying, didn't you know? And they're like, well, no, we didn't know. We thought that was the temple, and, and this is it. But Paul is telling us God lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And then it's like Paul asks them to lean in. He's like, guys, guys, listen to me. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Now I want to pause, and I want to think about this, and I want to talk about this for a second. At first, that seems kind of like slave ownerish, right? You were bought at a price, but think about where our sins and our past have left us feeling damaged, feeling less than whole, feeling unlovable, feeling unredeemable, feeling and wondering and scared that maybe we have too much baggage, 
not really sure what our future worth is. And Paul is pointing out the greatest truth that will ever be spoken over you, that when God sees you, he does not see you as damaged goods, as no longer worthy of love or affection or attention or paying any kind of price, but Jesus Christ came to lay down his very life to tell you, you are worth everything to me. You are worth my life. I give myself. Why? Not as some random act, but because he loves you. Wait, wait, wait. God loves broken me? Yes. No, 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 wait. God needs me to clean my stuff up before he... No, God loves us as we are. God has commended his love for us in that while we were still... Still sinners, he died for us. You were bought, you were purchased. There has been a transaction for your damaged soul. Remember when you had given away so much of yourself that you were worried that you weren't valuable anymore. Your maker has assigned a value to you. Your creator policy and your God, your savior wants you so much that he has paid the price to redeem you. And because he thinks so much of you, because he paid the ultimate price to redeem you and to show you your worth, because of that, honor God with your bodies. Honor God. Jesus, because you have loved me when I was worried that no one else would, I give my body to you. Because you have found a worth in me that I could not find in his eyes or his eyes or his eyes, I give myself to you. God, because you have loved me when I thought no woman would ever take me, I honor you with my life, my mind, my soul, my body, because you have first loved me. Come on, one more time. Can you give him thanks and praise in this room? So the question that Paul leaves us with is how best as a single person, how best as a married person, how best as a single again person, a young person, as a divorced person or a young adult in college or a young adult about to get my own place, a young person about to move out on my own, how best do I use my body, do I use my mind, my soul, my heart so that I do not bring sorrow or regret to the one that has loved me when I was worried that nobody could ever love me again. How best, how best do I honor God with my body? Now, I want to come back to that at the end, and that's where I want to land for today. But before I do, there's, there are two quick myths and one truth that I want to share with you and, and put my notes together. It was going to take too long to set them up and to tease them out, but I, I, I want to share this with you. I want you to hear this stuff. I want you to, to believe and to, to buy into what I'm saying this morning. There's, there's two myths and a truth. Number one myth is this. That sexual behavior is a preference. That your sexual behavior is a preference. In other words, that might be good for you, but I think I can handle my sex life my own way. That might be okay for Christians, but I think that my way is good for me. And that's a myth. If the outcomes were the same, then you'd be right. It's all just a preference. As long as you can do what you want and I can do what I want, but we'll all end up in the same good place, you'd be right. But there are people in this room 
Some of us know the inconvenient truth that one way of living our lives sexually ends up in good results and one way of living our lives sexually ends up with pain and regret and things that we wish we could change. The outcomes are not the same. And so your sexual behavior is not a preference. And if you continue to act and behave in a way sexually that dishonors yourself and that breaks down your capacity for intimacy, you will break, break your capacity for future intimacy with the one that you wish you could spend the rest of your life with. It's not just a preference. The second myth is this, young people. Practice makes perfect. No, Mike, no, no. That's the myth. It's the myth. I appreciate the amen, but that's the myth. <laughs> the myth is that you need to practice so that you don't look like a fool on your wedding night. Can I just clear the air? This isn't a competition. You can't enter one as a couple and get a medal and go into the Guinness Book of World Records. Best sexer ever. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. You, I, I don't... <laughs> Maybe there is some kind of messed up world record. I don't know. But listen, if you want to play the piano, practice makes perfect. You want to play the piano, get a tutor, you know, you need lessons and all that kind of stuff. With intimacy, practice ruins perfect. With intimacy, practice ruins perfect. The more people you let into a conversation, the less intimate that conversation is. The more people you take on your Valentine's Day date, the less intimate of a situation it is. And it's all because of this third truth that I want to tell you, that romance is fueled by exclusivity. Romance is fueled by exclusivity. Romance is telling someone, I only have eyes for you. Romance is telling someone, I've waited my whole life for you. Romance is telling someone, I've been looking for you. I prayed for you and I hoped for you. Even before I knew what your face was going to look like, I was waiting for you. Romance is I'm able to give all of me to only you. That's romance. And romance is fueled by exclusivity. You don't need practice to be romantic. You need to be exclusive. And if I can offer a hint, a little bit corny. Like just, just saying. Now, here's what I want you to do with all this. Single people, single again. People, some of this lands with married people and some of it doesn't and this might not. But for all the single and the single again people, anybody thinking of a married future, this is what I want you to do. I want you to decide today what story you want to tell tomorrow. Decide today. Choose today. Before you leave this room, we're going to open up the front just a little bit. Before you leave today, I want you to decide what story you want to tell tomorrow. Because here's the thing. When people come together and they're thinking about being together forever, everybody has to tell their story at some point. And what happens a lot of times, if people have a story that they wrote that they don't particularly like, they lie about their story. They start off a relationship hoping for forever but they've got a lot of skeletons in the closet. They've got a lot of things that they don't want to bring out because they're worried that their story will cause them to lose the person they've been looking for. They're worried that they are not the person that the person they were looking for is looking for. So I don't want to tell that part. 
I don't want to share that part. So decide today what story you want to tell tomorrow. And then start living out that story. See, today could be the start of your new chapter. Today could be the start of your new point. Today could be the point where you say in the future that I was this, or I was with him, or I was with her, and then I was, I was with him too, and him too, or I was with her too, you know. I was with them, but, but something was missing, and something felt wrong, and then I realized that I had bought into a lie, that I had been designed for something more than just a physical hookup with somebody. And so from that day on, as soon as God in his grace gave me that understanding, from that day on, I started praying for you. From that day on, I reserved myself for you. From that day on, I decided that nobody else would be able to dishonor what I am hoping to create with you. See, now, doesn't that sound like a better story than some of the stories that we've heard told? Doesn't that sound, I mean, like all of us, no, nobody's perfect, but doesn't that sound like the kind of story that you might want to hear someday? Isn't that the story that you hope, you hope that the person that you're looking for tells, right? And if you're going to be the person that the person you're looking for is looking for, then you need to start living out the story that you want to be able to tell them tomorrow. Can we all stand in the room this morning? Now, these kind of messages, it can land all over the place, and there can be regret and pain. In, in this room, there might be some hand-wringing going on, you know, a little bit of nervousness. There might be a little bit of a, okay. There might be some resolve that comes up. But when I, when I thought about where I wanted to end today, I, I wanted to end back with Jesus, back where it all started and back where it all needs to end. I, I wanted to end with the one who makes all of this worth listening to. I wanted to end with our Savior and our hope. And I wanted to tell you this morning that 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into our world. And he told us that he was the one we'd been hoping for. He told us that he was our rescue. And, and for a lot of us, all that means is that he came to forgive us of our sins. But I want to put a little bit, not a twist, but I want to expose a truth on that. That Jesus did not just come to forgive us of our sins, but Jesus came to save us from our sins. Yes, he wants to take care of your yesterdays, but Jesus wants to fix and fix hope upon your tomorrows. See, his love is not like a soggy, wet paper towel that's no good anymore. His love is strong. His love is able to do things that the kind of love you've experienced has never been able to do before. And he can give you a worth today if you will receive it. He can give a value to you. If you will listen to my words and believe what I am telling you this morning, you can walk out of this place with a new confidence and a new assurance that I am fully known and yet I am fully loved. And I'm fully known by someone who knows all of my secrets. I'm fully known by someone who I could never lie to because he knows he's been with me all along I just didn't know he was standing there but you were loved and there was hope there was healing there are new beginnings in this room I believe I prayed over this service I prayed over this moment right now I, I believe this with all of my heart you can leave with a brand new beginning to your story For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.